in music, um, they have a saying that uh, says, uh, close enough for jazz. Have you heard that? <laughs> um, people ask, I'm a pianist, and people ask if I play jazz, and I say yes until I hear a jazz player, and then I'm like, no, I actually don't play, play jazz. In jazz, you can play things, and you, you can make a mistake and kind of wiggle it around and improv, because it's a lot of improv. It's not like Mozart, where you got certain notes on the page. You can kind of make it up as you go along. In fact, the better you make it up as you go along, the better a jazz musician you actually are. There are certain things in life that are that way, that you can kind of get close to. I was just thinking about the words of the song that we were singing, that will never humanly comprehend the cost of what it was for Jesus to lay himself down and take up our sin. And as we were singing it, I thought, wonder what would happen if he almost just did that. Almost made it. Almost died. Almost bled. Nothing. Almost in that case would have meant absolutely zero. There are some things that are that almost enough is okay. There's some things that almost enough just you might as well not done it. You may recognize this picture. We're just coming off the Olympics. It's Michael Phelps on the uh, on the right and Chad LaClose from South Africa. The difference uh, in one of their earlier races, uh, Phelps did uh, earn gold in, uh, in many races, but this first one he earned silver. And if you know how to do math, the difference between the gold and silver was five one hundredths of a second. I think that's a nanosecond. I'm not sure, but I'm guessing that's a nanosecond. And I, I don't even comprehend how they can calculate that fractional time, but someone a lot smarter than us does it. But in this case, five one hundredths of a second almost didn't get the gold. Just doesn't work. Here's another almost. This is this one's close. That's almost. That reads I'm awesome. <laughs> almost. <laughs> That's my back. I'm kidding. I'm kidding you. Wanna see? No, I'm just kidding. You're like, no, it's hideous. <laughs> If you're listening to the podcast, you won't get this, but anyway. Yeah, almost, but not, not quite. We're in this collection that we're calling Enough because life has a way of paring us down to live this almost enough lifestyle. I believe that God has wired us for something entirely different from that. There's, when we watch a movie like Braveheart, there's something in us that comes alive and we say, oh, I'm relating to that. There's some instinct that God has placed in us, I believe, that we want to live greater than sometimes we actually are. That's why we're pausing and saying, can we take our lives to that enough? Can we be desperate enough? Can things matter enough? Can we do this enough, live enough? Because at the end of our lives, I promise you, no one will regret going to that 212 hot boiling level for God. The apostle Paul at the end of his life says, I am being poured out for God. You sense no regret in a person who says, man, I am just, I am flowing it out. On the other side of that coin, 
I believe that we will regret coming to the end of our life and saying, I just did it just enough. I live status quo. I just didn't take it to that extra level. I played it safe. Today, we're going to talk about a word that is not often used in church, at least for the 50-some years that I've been in church. The word is courage. And I, I believe there's a reason that we don't use that word in church a lot. Um, first, did anybody hear a phone call? Sorry. I'm like, I'm always grabbing. I'm like, it's mine. Rats. I left it on. Sorry. Um, because we haven't in our church, capital C, in, in the church of, of God, positioned our place, ourselves in a place where courage would actually be needed. We come and we sing songs. We come and we listen. We're in an air-conditioned building in the American church. We go to Bible studies. We go to Wednesday night dinners. We, do, we go to youth group where we're having fun and we're, be, we're singing and we're listening to, the, to music and whatnot. There's nothing dangerous about that. Now, there occasionally, when we go to share our faith, we make it a little excited and, okay, I've got to, you know, share my faith. But I'm talking collectively as an operating system, as a church together. I'm going to try to do something that I do from time to time that's extremely challenging. We live in an individualistic culture in America where we're called to speak our opinions. We're, we're asked to blog and put down our thoughts or Twitter or Facebook. And what happens, and I think what I notice eroding is that this individualism, which is not all a bad thing, but the erosion of collective thinking. How do we feel as a nation? How shall we be as a nation in our spiritual journey? How shall we be as a church? Because we come in, all of us. I came in this weekend with certain needs, hoping to be inspired, hoping to be met, hoping to feel God's presence. And and it, it can suddenly, even in a very... Uh, a, a Christian who's been around for a long time, we can come in and think individually, even in our faith, oh, I hope I get something out of this and not elevate like, man, this is an army. How are we to be as a, as a collective agent for God in this world? I want my team to be that team that doesn't stop at almost enough. So I'm not this morning, although we could spend a, a number of times and topics on your own personal courage. But for this morning, can I elevate or try to allow God to invite God to elevate your thinking to a collective level? How shall we be as a church? How could we position ourselves in a way that requires courage? Now, maybe at this little intersection, I've lost you. If I've lost you and you think, oh, dude, that was about me, man. I've got a lot of this, that, and the other. I'm going to challenge you again. Think at a higher plane. Because being in God's church, what God's church does in this world is important. God calls the church as the collective team to get the job done. Courage in a church 
should be part of the fabric. If I were to ask you what the opposite of courage is, what would you say? Thank you. Some, somebody last night said chicken. I'm like, what do you have against chicken? But oh, yeah, I'm being a chicken. I got you. Fear. That's right. So when you think of somebody who's courageous, the opposite of that, the antithesis of that is someone who is fearful. So as we enter courage, let's look for a minute at the opposite of courage. And when you look at the word fear, you trace it back and it always interests me the first occurrence of things because you can learn a lot from the first time things happen in the scripture. We travel all the way back to the third chapter of the book of Genesis. You may remember the story. See, I believe that man and woman were created with no fear. I believe that they were in this environment in the Garden of Eden, and when God came in the garden, that he came in, and there was this just this uninhibited relationship, and there was no fear until both Adam and Eve walked off the line, and then we pick it up in Genesis chapter 3. God walked in the garden and said, Adam, where are you? And Adam answered in verse 10 of chapter 3 of Genesis, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. You see, when you look at fear, there's many layers of fear. But at the very core of the nerve center of fear is self-preservation. I've done something wrong. I'm I'm afraid of something and I'm going to protect myself like Adam. And I want to make sure I'm protected. I'm preserving myself. So you're afraid of spiders. So you're going to protect. When you see a spider, what do you do? You don't lunge toward it. You go, ah, there's a spider. Because you're just in a natural fearful, self-preserving mode. Make sense? Public speaking is the highest fear that humans have because people will be afraid that they'll come up and publicly make a fool of themselves. See, I've made a fool of myself so many times, I don't care anymore. So I'm pretty relaxed up here this morning. So when they walk up, oh, I'm so nervous. Why? Because I'm protecting myself from making a fool in front of myself, in front of other people. Fear, that sense of self-preservation, causes the the outcome, the results, the consequences are enormous. I was talking to Joel Farabee uh, when he came back from the trip, and he was telling me a little of the history of Czechoslovakia back in the 30s and 40s. And many of you might remember the appeasement, and the Chamberlain was the prime minister of England. And uh, they had just come through World War One, and Hitler was building his uh, uh, artillery, and and he came uh, to um, Britain and France and said, "I'm going to take the outer western edge, the entire border of what was then the Czech, Czechoslovakia. I'm going to take Austria. I'm going to take the Rhineland." And because they were, they went into a self-protection, a self-preserving mode. Oh gosh, if we say no. We're gonna, it's going to really be bad, and it was, actually turned out bad anyway, and, but we're going to protect ourselves, and we'll go ahead and give it to them. And in and, and that moment, the Czechoslovakians were put on the, the block, so to speak, all because of, oh, what's going to happen? Doesn't that happen in our relationships? 
We acquiesce because we're afraid we're going to offend somebody if we say, man, I'm not sure I agree with that. So, okay, yeah, good idea. Sure, we'll we'll jump off the roof. I'm good with it, you know, because I'm kind of afraid to say no. It's self-preservation. So the opposite is true when it comes to courage. Courage, and when I look at courage, there are two critical ingredients. The first one is the opposite of fear, which is self-preservation. It's selflessness. You see, courage comes up in an individual or an army when we're willing to say, I'm not going to think about myself in this moment. So let's say I'm standing in a riverbank and my, my seven-year-old puts his foot in the water and, whoa, slips in. I don't have to, in that moment, muster up some kind of false courage. In that moment, I'm not worried if my wallet is going to get wet. I'm not worried if my leather shoes are going to be ruined or even if I'm going to drown automatically. We've been created to kick into a selfless mode. I'm going in. Soldiers around this world right now give themselves selflessly because courage is part of what they do. I respect policemen, officers, until they pull me over for a speeding ticket, but no, no. But we respect them because they are giving selflessly, putting themselves in front of us. It's an important part of courage. For a church to understand courage, we must become selfless. The moment, the moment we begin to care about, whoa, this, I wonder what's going to happen. Oh, that's a scary thing. I've got to go to the Czech Republic. I don't even speak Czech. I don't even know how to spell Czech. <laughs> it's the minute we, self comes in and courage is diminished. Make sense? Think about any heroic story, any heroic story. And it is an act of selflessness when you see courage. Second ingredient is this, a clear picture of a destination. I'm jumping in the river because I'm going to save my son. That's the end. William Wallace was saving Scotland. He had a very clear destination in mind. I love the scriptures because it's real. These are not hallmark versions of stories where we go, oh, that was so delightful. No, there are guys like Moses who was a scaredy cat. He was a chicken. Why? Because he was, in that moment, a self-protectionist. I'm going to call you to go speak to one of the head leaders who's actually held your people in cruel oppression for a long time. Oh, what if I, I don't know what to say. Pick my brother. He's bigger. He's better. He's got a better speech. No, son, I want you to picture something. You go. You be selfless. And when you go, understand this picture of destination. The God of this universe is with you. Can you picture that? Okay, I'll go. He needed a picture of what it was going to look like. 
Joshua needed a picture of the promised land to cross the swollen, flooded Jordan River. Anybody that's called David needed a picture that he was going to be king no matter all the junk that he had to go through to get there. Jesus looked in the eyes of his disciples and said, go into all the world, make disciples. You get the picture, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the earth. Get the picture of what it may look like. Jesus was a dreamer of courage. He breathed in courage into his followers, and he said, look, I want you to go to Jerusalem. You picture it. You know it. Go into Judea. You know it. Now watch, guys. I want you to picture Samaria. I know you hate Samaritans, but picture what I could do in Samaria. And I want you, are you ready, guys? Picture the ends of the earth. Because if you can picture it, courage will arise in you. What can we picture as the church of God that would cause courage to come up within us? Connie Meyer went to Belize uh, probably six months ago for the first time. A lady traveling by herself to a foreign country freaked out. She went for one reason, the destination. The pictures of those children created in her a selfless courage. Some people say, man, alive, you talk about discipleship, one person coming against one, one and I'm going to come together in a, in a small circle relationship. <laughs> the closer we get, <laughs> when I talk to people all the time about, man, we're going to get close to people, I understand it. I'm an introvert, by the way. I, I, I don't have a tattoo on my back that I would wear at the beach, that's not my style. So coming close to people like this is a scary thing until I see the pictures of what's happening in this local church. I'm like, wow, that's more life change than I have ever seen in any Bible class. And I've been in a lot that I've ever experienced. For that reason, okay, I'll become, I won't try to protect myself. I believe the scriptures are full of pictures. Watch this picture that we get today in Numbers chapter 13. If you brought your Bible with you, you kind of we're going to hover there. This is a rugged story, by the way. Some of you know it well. Others may not. Um, God had called the nation of Israel into what we know now as the promised land. In other words, it was a land that had been promised by God. Canaan was the territory. When it came time to get close to the territory of Canaan, God said to Moses, here's what I want you to do. You got 12 modulars in this nation. They called them tribes. I want you to pick one leader from every one of those tribes. So you'll have 12 leaders, and they're going to be spies. And they're going to go in as CIA agents, and they're going to take a survey, an inventory of the land that I'm giving to you. I'm not asking them to determine whether or not we should take the land. 
I'm just telling you I need a survey of the land I'm giving to you. Did you get the memo? I'm giving it to you, not determining whether or not you should take it or we're going to go. It's not the multiple choice question here. I'm giving it to you. These 13 spies, they go into the land, Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe send one of its leaders. Now, you got to imagine that if you were tapped, it would require a good bit of courage. You're going to now become a Navy SEAL overnight. No training. Let's get it up. You're going to sneak in, take a survey of the land, head back. They were in the land for 40 days. Now, here's what happened. Many of you may know this story. After 40 days... They all came back. There were two of them, namely Joshua and Caleb, that said, Wow, let us paint a picture for you. We can do it. You know what they were? Courage catalysts. Don't think about yourself. Think about the destination, that what could happen if we follow God. It's the same call to the church. Dream. Think of what we could do if we're not just giving out water and hot dogs and stuff and doing one-week mission trips all over the place. Dream of what could happen if we build ourselves into a church or into a school or in the four walls here. Think of the life change that can happen. I often think of Jesus with blazing eyes. As he's dreaming of the picture, oh, think of what can happen. He was a courage catalyst, but not the other 10 spies. They came back, and the Hebrew word is party poopers. Just kidding. (laughs) These 10 men who had come up in verse 31 of Numbers 13, who had gone up with Caleb and Joshua says, we can't attack those people. I'll dramatize this as we go along, as you can see. They are stronger than we are. Oh, thanks for the picture. Thanks for just wreaking havoc. And what happened is that the community of the courageous turned into the community of self-preservationists. Oh, gosh, Bad things are going to happen. We better hide. We better run. What are we doing here? Moses is a moron. Why did he lead us here? It went something like that. And they began to replace the picture that God had wanted for them with their own. We can do that, by the way. When I was in high school, I had uh, my best friend. His name was Hal Rowe. Hal Rowe. Well, when it came time to take our senior picture back then, I don't know what you guys do today, but they dressed us in a white tuxedo and uh, a bow tie, and we were looking sharp. On the day that Hal and I drove over to get our photos, we had this idea that we just thought was hilarious. We would change the picture, and so we said, hey, Let's actually change our names when we turn in our info. So my friend Hal Rowe, he changed his first name from Hal to Skid. (laughs) 
Now see, you think it's funny now? Oh, it was really funny in that moment, I'm telling you. I changed my name from Steve McCoy to Roy McCoy. Now, at the time, that was the funniest thing that in the human race. Until our parents read, opened up the yearbook, and there I am, a senior picture, the moment you've been waiting for, Roy McCoy. <laughs> Your father would like to have a word with you. Like, all righty. Suddenly, it didn't seem so funny. So these guys come back, and they change the picture. Watch. Don't miss it. In place of courage, we change the picture of what church ought to be, of who we shall be. So instead of having courage, we acquiesce to everybody's request. I served in a church on the East Coast. The leadership was afraid to tell the photographer in our church, Doug, that he couldn't hang any more pictures in the church. The photos weren't that great anyway. If we'd have a chicken dinner, Doug would snap off 15 shots and they looked like anything that I would take, nothing spectacular. But because they were afraid Doug would leave the church, protecting ourselves, they just said, yes, the church looked like a photo gallery of bad pictures. (laughs) We became chicken. We started as leaders finding out what people gave to God. And in a self-protectionist measure, we said, oh, we've got to be super nice to those people or they would leave. And for that reason, as I've said, I don't know what anybody gives in this church for that reason. So that my flesh and my weakness and my stupidity won't flash into some self-protection mode of chasing somebody because they don't agree. Where does God call us to be that? He calls us to be courageous, to stand for truth. I love what has happened with Chick-fil-A. I'll say it openly. And I love those people who are not, not for any angst uh, against the homosexual community. I have so many friends, close, dear friends that I love that are homosexual. I have close friends who are Muslim. I have close, not the, he just, the, 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 the president just simply said, here's what I believe. Not saying anything about anybody else. Here's what I believe. And he got so much flack. I'm like, I don't know you, but I love you. Don't back down. Don't bash anybody. For heaven's sakes, that's crazy. It wasn't that what it was about. This is what the church is called to be courageous in these moments. Are you saying Jesus is the only way? What are you, narrow-minded, dogmatic? Yes, I am. He died on a cross like no one else. He had the pure blood of the Lamb of God. No one else did. Yes, I love my Savior. And as a church, we will be courageous not to back down from what God calls us to. Give a million dollars. Fine. Take it out of the bucket. We're not backing out. And you can't hang a picture in this wall, by the way. (laughs) 
these guys came back and they changed the picture of what the church, what the community of faith should be. And I'm telling you, God didn't take it lightly. God doesn't take it lightly. He has expectations for his army. As you would if you were the commander-in-chief. They came back. They wreaked havoc in the community. Total self they, they wanted to go back to Egypt. Crazy idea. They wanted to pick up stones and kill their leaders. Definitely not a good idea. <laughs> and God said this in Numbers 14, verse 29. In this desert, your bodies will fall. I don't take this lightly. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home. Do you hear what God just said? I promised with uplifted hand. I'm taking it back. Wow, what a moment. Except Caleb and Joshua. God said, look, you were in the land 40 days. I, you were there to get a great picture, to encourage courage, but you didn't. Every day you were in there, it's a year. You come out 40 years in the wilderness. That's where it comes from. And this generation is not going to go and see the picture. You see, if we back down, and it's just all about our programs and studies and singing and blah, blah, blah. Oh, man, we missed the picture of what God could do. Watch what happens. They said, okay, we'll do courage then. You, you told us we're not going to get up there. We're not going to get in the land. But by our own strength, huh, we're going to go in and take it ourselves. I mean, you're reading the page. You're, you and yourself, I mean, you're reading. You're like, don't do it. Don't do it. Bad idea. Not good. Because when God says, oh, no, man, it's not going this way. There's sometimes we'll begin to do our own thing. Let me make perfectly clear that courage is not brazen individualistic confidence. As a leader in God's church for many years, it is the number one thing I have to flex my muscle with. Sorry, we're not doing it that way. We can't. We have a picture. Sorry, we're not going to do this. Not going to. Sorry. Well, I'm going to do it anyway. Good on you. Not in this team. Can't. We are a march. An army marches in step. Courage is a statement where the end destination causes selflessness. Can I say that again? When I see the faces of these children, I hear the stories of Czech Republic. I see the life change within, that's happening within this room like I've never experienced because we're willing, some of you are willing to have courage enough to grow, grow closer to one another. I see that picture. I'm hungry for that picture. Many of you are starving for that picture. You've been in church for so long. You're like, oh man, I want life change. I want to see it. I'm hungry. I'm desperate starving for it with that picture we'll march in step together no one march out of step let's march selflessly i don't care what great idea you have awesome perfect we're gonna go in step but these guys said nope we're gonna do an individualistic program and we're gonna take it ourselves moses said to them in numbers fourteen forty four. 
Why are you disobeying the Lord's command? That's not the picture. This will not succeed. Nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up toward the high hill country, though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Covenant moved from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that country came and down and attacked them and beat them. The Hebrew word for that is they whooped them down all the way to Hormah. On the other hand, Caleb stood up in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 30. He silenced the havoc in the people and before Moses and said, we should go up. We should take possession of the land. We certainly can do it. I, you have no idea how hard and long I have looked as a pastor for churches in this country. Where is one-to-one discipleship happening? I'm on a quest. How many people said it'll never work? I'm like, I've got a different picture in mind. This church has a different picture in mind. Oh, it's going to take a long time. Yes, it will. It may take 10 years to move an atheist from a church planning pastor. I'm willing to wait for that picture. I'm willing to slow down. I'm willing not to just be all over the community. I'm willing to take one person and invest in that one person and over time see what God will do. Notice how God characterized Caleb in verse 24, Numbers 13. But because my servant Caleb had a different spirit and followed me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land. He'll get the picture. He'll get the live, the jazz of the picture, 360. Listen, some of you are new. Some of you are going to like, what? What are you saying? But listen, 360, if we have the courage enough to do what God has called us to do, the jazz of it is we'll begin to experience this picture. Otherwise, it will just be a distant picture. What picture are you talking about? I'm talking about life change. I'm talking about you pouring your life into one other person and watching life change like you've never seen it before. We've been test casing casing it over the last year and a half, two years. I'm telling you, not a commercial. I have not seen life change like this ever. And it's nothing because we're great or we've invented something new. We're unearthing ancient truth. That's all it is. Jesus said, here's the picture I want to give to you. Go into all the world and do what? You got it. Make disciples. Make disciples. Because he's saying, that's where the jazz is. You can see his eyes start. That's where the jazz is. <coughs> you see, we value simplicity here at 360. It's one of our four values. We value that. Because it's a means to an end. If we clog everything up. See, I was, I've served in a church that was thousands of people. And we're, there was something going on every night of the week. I saw families crumble because of that. Because it was so busy. And you're going volleyball and softball and a Bible study and blah, blah, blah. And it was all of that. There was no time to even develop a small circle relationship with your spouse or your kids or your neighbor or anyone else in the church. We were busy. I saw leaders, staff members, many fall 
because we were so busy. Simplicity in these days is a must. It will take courage for this church and this Check. Here we go. Don't do that to me again. I don't care how much you don't like what I'm saying. It will take, that was my wife. Hey, what are you doing up there? I'm just kidding. It will take courage for us to say no. Are we going down? Are the whole thing going down? Hello. Yes, check. No, check. Hello. Can you hear that? All right, thank you. Now for my first solo, I feel like singing when you're holding a mic. It takes, it takes a great bit of courage to say no. I'm telling you it does. I, I think Christians have more ideas than any, any other kind of species on the planet. And if we say yes to everything, I'm telling you, never get to the destination ever. We believe and in, we value relational intentionality. That means two people coming together. Can you imagine? Can I be a Caleb for a minute? Can, can you imagine an entire church caring for each other like you've never seen before? People paired up in small circle relationships where you feel cared for. Just a few people came in this morning. I just met them last week. And I, I remember their name like, wow, dude, you remember my name. You know why it freaks people out? Because we're not used to it. We're not used to people studying names and faces. That's what I do. It t- to, to study uh, people and to get close and to put effort, it takes courage, selfless courage to say we're going to be relationally intentional in this church we have a defi- we value defined leadership, meaning not everybody says, hey, I'd like to be a leader. Oh, no. We're picking those who are digging in, and courage is a requirement for leadership in this church. If you can't say no, you can't lead. A year ago, I had a good friend, my small circle relationship, that pulled me aside and said, son, in order for, for you to... For this picture to be fulfilled, grow courage. You're going to need it. And it's for the entire team. Can you picture an entire church being courageous? Can you? I know it's hard. At least for me, I haven't, haven't seen a church. But can I elevate your mind into thinking what it might be like for our whole army? our whole army to be courageous. The older I get, the more I love history. That's weird. I used to hate history. I don't know why, but I love it now. And uh, particularly Civil War history. There are so many stories of courage and sacrifice and selflessness in any war. Many of you may know this story, but at the end of the Civil War, Robert E. Lee was beginning to smell the end of uh, the war and the beginning of defeat. In 1865, in the spring, he was leading the northern armies of Virginia. 
he was surrounded by uh, Grant's forces. They began to pull in on every side. Lee's armies had not eaten anything in five days. Wasn't looking good. They were down with men. They were down to about 28,000 men compared to the 100,000 that Grant still had. Things just, it was obvious that it was near over. Now, in those days, your chief of artillery, he was your right-hand guy. Porter Alexander, General Porter Alexander, was Lee's chief of artillery. He came to Lee, and he said, things are not looking good, but I got a plan. It's a plan of courage. Now, see, I grew up in that area. I lived in Richmond, where, where Lee was. It's about 180 miles west, and you'll hit the Blue Ridge Mountains. Porter Alexander said, if we can just make it to the Blue Ridge Mountains, we can transfer this front to battle, front line to front line warfare to guerrilla warfare. We'll hide ourselves in every state and basically become terrorists. Historians tell us that if Lee would have taken the advice of his right-hand man in this supposedly act of courage, this individualistic act of courage, that the Civil War would have been prolonged not just for a few years, but for decades. The country was already decimated. When I read the words of Robert E. Lee in this moment, I see a courageous leader. Why? Because of selflessness. And because he had a higher plane. Now, he had his own individual life, his wife, his soldiers, all the things that he could have been concerned with. But I want you to read these words, what General Lee said in that moment. He said to his right-hand man, General Porter Alexander, you and I as Christian men have no right to consider only how this would affect us. May I say something before you read further? If Christians could adopt that truth, the army would look amazingly different. It's not all about you. It's not. It's not all about me. He said, we must consider the bigger picture, its effect of guerrilla warfare on the country as a whole. Already our country is demoralized by these four years of war. We would bring on a state of affairs it would take the country years to recover from. And it feels like a Joshua moment. As for myself, you young fellows might go bushwhacking, but the only dignified, courageous, selfless course for me would be to go to General Grant and surrender myself and take the consequences of my acts. You're looking at the face of courage. He surrendered. Really, he was courageous? Yes, he had selfless, non-self-preservationist courage because he was taking one for the whole team, the entire country. Years later, the effect that that had on General Porter Alexander was immense. He says these words, I had not a single word to say in reply at that moment to what Lee said. Alexander wrote years afterwards. 
He had answered my suggestion of guerrilla warfare from a plane so far above that I was ashamed of having made it. What a man. What a catalyst of courage. I am, I am being a catalyst to you today, hopefully, to elevate your th- thinking from an individualistic level to the plane of God's church and imagining what it would be like if we become courageous enough. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for who you are, for what you do. God, your character of being courageous over and over and over. I remember in this moment, God, the scriptures that say that the Lord is a warrior. But God, you're not just a brazen, self-confident, individualistic warrior, God. You are a selfless warrior. I think of Jesus Christ in this moment, who at one moment in history will come riding back as a warrior on a white horse with fire blazing in his eyes. Oh, God, help us to capture that picture. And if we've got a picture of Jesus as some lowly, meek shepherd, help us to have a more complete picture of a selfless warrior that had the courage to face death for the entire team of humanity. Oh, God, what your church could be if we had the courage to say no when it was appropriate. Oh, what your church could be, God, if we were driven by the destination of life change and we would not take our locked eyes off of that picture and not allow anything to have the courage, God, to not let anything deter us from that destination so that we may live out the picture that you've clearly drawn Oh, God, that we might have courage in this church to be selfless enough to build relationships, to grow relationships small, no matter how scary it may be. No matter how many times, God, we might have to drop the veil of our self-protectionism and open up and be transparent so that we can become who you've called us to become. Oh, God, help us to be who you want us to be, courageous enough like Jesus.